So by applying these truths to a particular time, people, and situation, my hope is that they'll more vividly see the gospel and it'll apply, like the application will will benefit people because they'll look at this. Maybe they've never thought about questions that black students are asking. And they're like, mm. oh, like I never saw the gospel from that angle. Yeah. Or I've never seen anyone talk about that topic mm. as it relates to Jesus and who mm -hmm. he was. And now that gives them a whole nother avenue True. of prayer and exp exploration into the scriptures. And so everyone should be doing that. We should be reading each other's theologies. We should be looking at the gospel from each other's vantage points. Yep. We should be looking at what jumps out on the page to somebody else because I might not have seen it. And this just yep. enriches us all. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, a show devoted to bridging the gap to the historic Reformed Christian faith. Listen in as two friends, a layman Nick and a pastor Peter, discuss the newest and best books in the broader Christian tradition with some of the most respected seminary and college professors, pastors, theologians, authors, and more. We hope these book club episodes introduce solid theological works to those who want to read but don't know where to start or who to trust. You'll be introduced to authors you know and many others you don't from various theological traditions, but all under the broader tent of our shared creedal tradition. All of these authors and books help us to do the same thing. They remind us of how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hey, this is Peter Bell, and I am in the beautiful wine country of Central Coast, California, in Santa Maria, north end of Santa Maria, in Santa Barbara County. I serve Redeemer OPC, Redeemer Orthodox Presbyterian Church, on the north end of Santa Maria. We meet at Temple Bethel, which is right there, Temple Bethel, at 11 a.m. for Sunday service and 9.45 a.m., so just before that for Sunday school. For all ages, we have kids Sunday school, adult Sunday school or all Sunday school at 945. You can find us at discoverredeemer.org with one R. Again, discoverredeemer.org. We have a bunch of activities throughout the week. But most importantly, Sunday, we have the gospel preach, the, the sacraments administered, and church discipline faithfully brought out. So I hope to see you here at Redeemer OPC in Santa Maria, Central Coast, wine country of Santa Barbara. Hope to see you. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Danny Hyde from the Oceanside United Reformed Church. I want to invite you out to our church. We meet in sunny Southern California, uh, here in San Diego, and we meet at the Army-Navy Academy in Carlsbad, right along the ocean, as you can see, the Pacific. And uh, we meet every Sunday at 10 o'clock in the morning. We uh, hear the Word of God, we hear the Gospel preach, we have the Lord's Supper every Sunday morning, and then we have Sunday school at about noon for kids. We come again uh, together at five o'clock every night, uh, Sunday night, for uh, teaching, prayer, and singing. And then we also have various uh, midweek groups, Bible studies, men's, women's, and also other Bible studies as well uh, throughout the week. So I want to invite you out to worship with us. If you know anybody in the area here in North County of San Diego, uh, invite them as well. Let them know. You can find out more about us on our website, OceansideURC.org, or also on all those various social media. You'll find us as well. God bless. Hey, this is Peter, one of the co-hosts. We're doing something new. All ads will be fronted before the episode for unimpeded listening pleasure. A quick plug for our show, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. Would you consider giving to our show? 
We are a 501c3 nonprofit, so your donations are now tax deductible. We've got two options to give. One, email us at guiltgracepod at gmail.com if you'd like to send a check or use our direct donor link. Or two, go to our show notes and click on our donor box link to give a recurring donation or a one-time gift. You can also click on our Patreon account in the show notes and sign up for monthly exclusives, merchandise, coupon codes with publishers we work with, giveaways for our subscribers, and much more. All donations we're gifted are used exclusively to pursue our mission to bridge the gap to reform Christian theology. Would you join us? Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. Today is a book club episode brought to us by Hidaseh Publishers, and you're going to learn more about that publishing company uh, from our guest today and uh, the author of today's book. We have Cyril Chavis Jr., and he wrote the book, The Bible Explained, A College Student's Guide to Understanding Their Faith. And go ahead and go to our show notes and click the Hidaseh link. It'll take you right to this book and learn more about Reverend Chavis. And then also, uh, if you guys go to our show notes, there's going to be other resource information about how to find us. We are on YouTube, subscribe to us there, check us out, watch these conversation via, conversations via video, and then uh, also you can check, check us out on audio-only uh, podcast apps. As usual, we're a podcast, so that makes sense. And then our email address, and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram for daily content and what's going on. You can go also, uh, if you're having a hard time finding a church near you and you want to find a, a reformed church, click that uh, church finder link and, and type in your zip code and you can find one there. Uh, and then I want to go in and read the endorsement of a guest we've had on our show before. So we've had Erwin Ince, Dr. Erwin Ince on our show a few times and we love the guy. So uh, that's the one endorsement we've had on the show before. So I'm going to read his endorsement about Cyril's uh, book here. Dr. Irwin Ince says this about the book. 35 years ago, during my undergraduate years, I jettisoned the Christian, Christian faith of my childhood for the Afrocentric movement. I viewed Christianity as the white man's religion. God in his kindness eventually rejected my rejection of him. However, if I had a resource like Reverend Cyril Ch Chavis's The Bible Explained book, I would have been able to engage my false understanding of the Christian faith. Cyril has magnificently brought to bear the beauty of Reformed theology with the testimony of the African-American Christian experience to di uh, disciple college students of African descent. I believe many will come to faith in Christ and be strengthened in their faith by reading this book. So we think so too. And so uh, we got a great conversation here ahead of us. I'm going to let Peter further introduce our guest today, Cyril Chavis. Yeah, we got 
Cyril Chavis, uh, who's currently the RUF director at Howard University. Uh, this is in Washington, D.C. I'm going over to his his uh, author page right now. Uh, and he's also the founder and CEO, as Nick kind of alluded to, of Hadassah Publishing, a Black-owned publisher creating Christian content for the African di- diaspora and content. We're going to kind of talk about that and how that relates to this book as well. He's an ordained minister who currently serves students through RUF. He's served the RUF chapter at Jackson State. I think he's getting more pressed now with uh, with Coach Prime at Colorado at University of Colorado, former, former coach at Jackson State. <laughs> um, and since then, he has been serving the RUF chapter at Howard. He graduated from University of Virginia with a Bachelor of Arts in Re- Religious Studies and graduated from RTS Jackson mm-hmm. uh, campus. We know well, we've had a ton of their professors on our show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, with an MDiv with a biblical exegesis emphasis, happily married to Janelle, and they live in Washington D.C. with their three th- three children. So it's a pleasure having you on, Reverend Chavis. Man, it is a joy to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course, and so we got it. This is our this is our soft on ramp onto this show, and we just talked about this. I asked the question before record <laughs> before recording uh, when your birthday was. And we learned that you have the same exact birthday, year, month, day as Nick's wife. What's what's it feel like sharing such an esteemed <laughs> honor with Nick's wife? Same man, same I, area code or same uh, time zone too. <laughs> same, that'd be weird. Man. Same area code. Same yeah. time zone, <laughs> Eastern time zone. We won't put you on blast and, and publicize the world. You're you're in my wife's birthday, but no, I won't say exactly what but, it is. But yeah, uh-huh. I feel you know I feel honored. I feel deeply honored <laughs> <That's right. laughs> that yeah, the sure. that things have aligned in that way. But no, it's yeah. it, it is cool to find birthday uh, twins. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> We we share the same birth year, the same birth year, but you and his wife share everything. The entire <laughs> now, what time were you born? That's that's the big, that's the big right. question. Now we got to figure out what time Nick's you wife was born, and then we can like really sing things up. And you know, I don't know what time I was born, but there's an interesting fact about me. I'm a twin. Oh, okay. So I know I was born 30 minutes after my twin sister. Oh, <laughs> uh, does she let you know that all the time? Like she's the older sister. No, not really. She she's like, you know, pretty humble about it. But like, <laughs> but but my mom, my mom does let me know often, like, man, like I don't know what you were doing. You t- you know, you're taking your time. That's you know, that's true. 30, 30 minutes for a twin is kind of long. It's, it's usually like a minute or so or like a, a, like 30 seconds, but 30 minutes. Yep. And, and and it's crazy because I never, you know, growing up, they would say 30 minutes and that like time frame meant nothing to me in the labor room until yeah. I had my own kids. And I was like, <laughs> 30 minutes. <laughs> I was like, man, hats off to my mom. Uh, women women are uh, amazing for oh, yeah. what they do could, in giving birth. Yep. It could be like Jacob and Esau where he's pretty much the same time. He's just grabbing onto his foot, his heel as he's coming out. <laughs> right. And I was, was like, no, you get out of here. I'm, I'm staying here for a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm going to stretch out. It's been cramped in here. Because <laughs> <laughs> now I got room. I got room yeah. to stretch out the limbs. Yeah. Cool. So... Kind of on on more um, to stuff about this book. So tell tell our audience maybe just more about yourself and maybe too about Hadassah too. What's kind of special about this publishing company that you started with your wife, and then kind of the the background for yourself in this book as well. Yeah, for sure. So I'm Cyril Chavis. I am from Virginia Beach, Virginia. I grew up in an amazing home with two Christian parents. 
I was baptized around 10 or 11 years old. Um, and yeah, it's been, you know, my dad was in the Navy, so we moved around a little bit. I spent some time in Sicily and Texas. I was actually born in Silver Spring, Maryland, but spent most of my life in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and went to UVA for undergrad. And when I got there, I was just a knucklehead and was a professing Christian, would go to church every Sunday, but I just wasn't serious about my faith. And so either I was regenerated my first year in college, or I just, you know, had a good wake up call from the Lord from just partying and engaging in all the idols that I had. And I basically just got in trouble with drinking. And that was just kind of just like a little punch in the gut from the Lord. He was just saying, (laughs) Cyril, what are you, what are you doing? And I think that was, that's when I realized that idols always over promise and under deliver. I'm just like, Cyril, like, what are you investing your time in? What promises are you looking for from the things you're investing your time in? And so Got pretty involved with campus ministry there and quickly discerned a call to ministry. So um, I was a part of a local church up there. And I I had actually been licensed to preach when I was around my junior year in college for my home church. Mm. Um, And so I I grew up in a a traditional Black Baptist church. You know, great experience. You start preaching young in those churches. Yep. Yep. So, you know, I was writing sermons, you know, in in my, you know, um, uh, room in my off-campus housing and would go back home during the breaks and like meet up with my pastor and he would yeah. read the sermons and stuff. And so I uh, was licensed to preach and had a, um, a desire to pursue ministry. And so the church I was a part of in Charlottesville, they were big fans of just the reformed kind of world and reformed mm-hmm. circle. And I just never heard of reformed theology. It's like, what is this? Why are they so excited about it? This is weird. It seems a little bit, is this a cult? Like, what is it? (laughs) And so I kind of like dug in and um, was like, okay, yeah, I think I believe like at least 95% of all this stuff. And so I went to RTS Jackson. Um, So I was there for four years. And when I started RTS Jackson, I became an intern for the RUF at Jackson State. Yep, And then halfway through seminary, the campus minister there went on to pastor a local church, Redeemer Church in Jackson. Mm. And I became the lead guy there with a, with a team there. So I was doing that part-time and then doing seminary. And then I became full-time and ordained when I graduated seminary. Did REF at Jackson State for a little longer, then moved up here to start an REF chapter at Howard University. I got married halfway through seminary to my wonderful wife, Janelle. And I have three kids, uh, Aria, Elise, and Kyrie. So they're five, four, and two. Awesome. Um, so yeah, c- campus ministry is my thing. I, um, I'm, I'm a PCA pastor, and mm. uh, I just love college students, and I love doing ministry on HBCUs. That stands for Historically Black Colleges and Universities. And yeah, I've been having fun doing that. Heck yeah. Tell us too a little bit more about Hadassah. That's um, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's gonna speak to some of our audience. I mean, hopefully all of our audience, but maybe a, a particular subset of our audience who's interested in some of the work that you do, particularly so with kind of Christian sources and historically black sources. So yeah, tell us a little bit more about the publishing business that you guys started. Yeah, absolutely. So like I'm finding out as I grow in ministry, I'm a I'm a builder, like I'm a starter. Okay. And whenever I have like a godly discontent and I'm looking around and I'm like come on guys, let's do this. Let's do this. And, you know, I'm just like, all right, let's, let's, let's do it. Why not? You know? And so I developed a burden that, um, really. So, so a couple things that Christianity is the strongest 
and last the longest hmm. in context where the theology is intentionally contextualized to that people group. Hmm. Essentially, they're giving God's answers to the people's questions yep. in ways that they can understand. Each particular people group's questions are answered by God in their particular ways, but also yep. generally speaking, too. Yep, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like the, 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 the timeless truths of God's word being applied to timely questions. Absolutely. Mm. Yep. And so so that's the first conviction. The second conviction um is is is, is that I really believe that this happens uh best with that people's own leaders as you look at church history. And so I'm looking at uh kind of the, in particular the reformed presbyterian realm of things. Sure. And I'm saying there's really not a ton of African American reformed no, authors not a great history between presbyterians and and um black ministers if you look back at our history right right and so i'm thinking okay how can we you know we, we we're kind of in this tradition how can we own it for ourselves how can we you know people in the past in our tradition have talked about an indigenous reformed african-american movement you know i kind of call it a, a black presbyterian movement like what does this actually look like and i think a big part of it is producing content from and for this particular um, demographic. In my in my case, my I'm most familiar with African Americans, particularly like the Gen Z hmm. kind of demographic. And so, uh, man, I really want Hadassah Publishing to, because because there's tons of people with tons of content. Like I know all these ministry leaders and pastors and theologians, and I'm like, all right, how can I just be the young, hungry, energetic guy hmm. who encourages other people who have like all these things to offer to to put it out there hmm. and um so now so so vince bantu has been aspiring as as i read his kind of um uh church history book um a multitude of all peoples i believe hmm. it's called yep. and he kind of highlights this throughout church history yep. of like how the christian faith takes root in certain places um the, the most powerfully and then also looking at in the african american community we've always kind of publishing has always been a big part of what we do mm -hmm. because traditionally um given the history of, of racism and just colonialism oftentimes um black writers and 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 kind of content producers have haven't had the means to take ownership yeah. over their own kind of words and thoughts it always has to kind of go through this bigger thing that has the resources to get it out there yeah. And so I'm thinking through like, what does it look like for to contribute to the shalom of the African-American community by like through kind of economic empowerment? Let's like own our own stuff. Let's distribute our own stuff and kind of as, as a way of doing mercy ministry to our own demographic. So awesome. all all of that is kind of like behind yeah, yeah. why I'm, I'm uh, trying to like in, in my spare time, push that forward. Sure. Yeah. And that kind of fuels this book too. Some of the background behind this book before we get into Nick's like kind of like real kind of meaty question. How how does your work with Hadassah founding this um, historically black college universities and, and colleges, how does that inform this particular book that you wrote for, I mean, really your students at Howard and for any other students around um, who might be looking at something like this or ministers looking for something like this too? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so how, how, how does this book inform what I do on the college campus? Oh, yeah. How does how what you've done kind of inform this book and then the other way around? So how, like, okay, how they kind you, of got mutually you, got informed you. each other? Yeah. Yeah. So um, on the college campus, as I'm discipling college students, as I'm meeting up with them, it's so easy to kind of just do things based off of whim or what we just feel in the moment. And, and, and maybe that's an exaggeration, but so essentially, like if I'm thinking about what I'm going to teach next semester, yeah. I'm like, you know, it'd be really cool to teach this or it will be like really great. We haven't done this before, but I actually wanted to start thinking really intentionally about what am I teaching my students? What are they learning? How am I yeah. shaping them? And that kind of flowed out of some experiences I had. So one experience is I remember I was sitting across from a student and I was just talking with her about the Lord and we were talking about the gospel and she was talking about her sin. And she said something like, I mean, cause you know, Jesus wasn't perfect. Like he had sin oh. too. And I'm just like, <laughs> you've up. been a part of this ministry way too long <laughs> yeah. to say that. Like yeah. what's going, what's happening here? Like, I just, yeah. I was like, I felt convicted as a pastor. Yeah, how did like, I mess up like, to get to this answer? Right. I'm just like, <laughs> I, this, this wasn't broadcasted well enough in this group. <laughs> and so yeah. it just had me thinking like, okay, how do we shape our students theologically to where we kind of give them a set, almost like there's a consistent product yeah. when they graduate as far as what they've learned, what they've been exposed to. Yep. And I remember like at, that was at Jackson State and also at Jackson State, students would invite me to different churches in town. Mm -hmm. And so there'd be like a prophet who would come to mm -hmm. do a prophetic experience. And as mm -hmm. I'm listening to the ways that they're teaching and preaching, I'm just like, this is so far off from what we do with RUF. <laughs> like, why don't the students know the oh, difference between yeah. what's happening here and what's yeah, happening yeah. in RUF? And I'm and I'm yeah. thinking I'm not giving them theological categories. Mm. Like I'm not giving they can't discern what's happening here. It's like, oh, this is different than what uh, Cyril's been teaching me. What like why am I here? Right, right. And so and 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 so I'm thinking, okay, I gotta be more intentional. And then I'm so as I'm discipling students at at, at Howard, I'm like, okay, um, I would love to have a systematic way to deliver the Christian faith to them in a mm -hmm. way that speaks directly to them. And as I was looking just around, I didn't really see that book. I mean, it might be out there, but I couldn't find it. One that's sure. from a reformed perspective that's speaking to HBCU students yep. that kind of has those things in mind. So like I said, like I'm the type of guy where it's like, well, I'm looking around. Doesn't I'm, like, right, well, I'm going to create it. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't I do it? Yeah, I, like so it. I really kind of see this book as like a four year, a part of a four year curriculum. And they yeah. should basically walk away with the basics of the gospel story, like the source of the gospel, which is mm -hmm. the scriptures, the God of the gospel, the need for the gospel, the gospel itself, and the blessings of the gospel. And that's kind of the flow of the book. And I really want them to walk away being filled with the joy that comes with understanding your faith, like confidently walking with God, being like, I understand him and what he's about and what the scriptures are about in the basics. So. Yeah, which is so opposite how most college students come out of college because most just aren't prepared before college and then college kind of smacks them across the face and then they come out knowing nothing and then it's like, what am I going to go to church for? This has been useless. This doesn't inform my my, my life at all. And so you want to you want to reverse this trend. Yep, yep, absolutely. And, and and another part of the burden was as I was sitting at the commencement ceremonies watching these students walk across the stage, you know, I feel like every campus minister, campus leader is feeling that weight. Like, mm -hmm. what did they learn in the past however many years I had them? Did I did I set them up with 
teaching, with demonstrating the gospel, of being in their lives, that I set them up to walk with Jesus for a lifetime. Like, you know, like like Ephesians 4, like did did have they grown in the knowledge of Jesus so they're so that they're not tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. Yep. And totally. so that kind of burden is a part of creating this resource where at the very least, even even if you came to Aria for a semester, you know, at least you have the book in your hand. You mm-hmm. know, at least is there. The content is there. And, you know, like I've done with so many books, it'll be years after I've received the resource and I pick it up and I'm like, oh, like, man, this is so good. I wish I read this three years ago when that person gifted it to me, you know? Yeah, totally. Cool. Speaking of having a book in your hand, I got your book in my hand here uh <laughs> going into the zeroing in more specifically on this book that we're talking about the bible explained a college students guide to understanding their faith um so i'll make my first question you rhetorically actually ask in the book and then answer uh in a section prior to chapter one so the kind of the preface preface part uh you ask why should I read this book and knowing the main goal of this book is for the reader to understand what's that more specifically mean as you further answer the question in the beginning of your book. Yeah, man, that's a great question. Um, So Barna group just reading some of their Gen Z studies. They say that this generation is the first post-Christian generation Mm -hmm. and they're the least biblically literate generation. And so when I think about understanding, I'm thinking of this generation coming up. They they're they're not familiar with the Bible, uh, like the, the generation where you can just walk up to someone and say, what's your favorite Bible verse or what's your favorite Bible book? Like mm-hmm. this generation doesn't just exist. doesn't know. Like like they're like, I don't really know Bible books. I don't really know Bible verses. And but they're hungry, like they are spiritually hungry and they are curious. And so I want to meet them in their need for like in a Christianity that makes sense intellectually, that's coherent and you can put it together. In other words, like I think system, what we call systematic theology Mm -hmm. um, is going to be key for this generation, connecting the dots of a lot of things they've, they've heard. And so I'm thinking about a student as they get involved with our ministry, they get involved with our community, they make friends they they might experience some type of influence of the spirit from being around whether they're converted or not they're like oh man like this this group feels great this jesus thing feels great you know they become converted and they're they're growing but at some point in that process they're asking okay what does all this mean and so i want this resource to be a a, a way that they can understand the faith so it's really kind of for uh college students who are seeking They've heard a ton of things about Christianity and they're really not sure what it is and they want to investigate it or they've or students who have been a Christian for a while and they're just hungry. They're like, I've grown up with this. Maybe they're a reformed Christian and they're like, you know what? I've always believed in reformed theology, but I actually don't know all the ins and outs of it. What is theology and kind of how does the Bible fit together? Hmm. Um, And really part of this was, man, I have like fond memories of buying my real first theology books. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when I was a college student and I got challenged and people were like, man, you need to dig deeper into the scriptures. And I'm like, man, what book should I buy? And I remember they recommended Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. Oh, to yeah. Me. Yeah. That was, and, that was big time back in the day. Yeah. And they also recommended, uh, FF Bruce's canon yep. of scripture. Yep. And so I just remember 
you know, one summer, maybe the summer of my junior year, just like reading that, like literally, like I would wake up, go to the gym, come home, eat, and just like read that systematic theology, <laughs> read that but like dense book on uh, inerrancy and the scriptures and just read the Bible. And I remember just a couple other books being those like big moments for me. And so I was like, man, what would it be like to create that big moment for college students? They're like first theology book. Mm -hmm. And it really speaks to them and they can have it and they can go to it as a, as, as a resource. So that's kind of the heart behind it. Like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. And so I like the draft you have not stated um, kind of the backbone of this book. Of course it's, it's for your students. It's for those college students who are looking to dive deeper into the, into the faith, but you, you follow <clears throat> explicitly um, the Westminster shorter catechism. So the first, I think 38 questions, if I have that mm -hmm. right of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, you follow it to help yep. <clears throat> guide your students in the Christian faith and apply in a way that makes sense to them. And I think a lot of people are like, well, the Westminster standard, like that's pretty, that's some pretty high level stuff right there. I don't know if, 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 if college students can, can keep up with this stuff or if it makes sense for them. Um, but you break it down in, in a way. And, and of course, Westminster Shorter was originally meant for kids. So it's kind of <laughs> it's even mm -hmm. meant for those who are younger than us, but like you said, we're so illiterate that sometimes it, it's kind of above us. <clears throat> so how, yeah. how do you go from various question answers in the, in the Westminster short? Cause you don't say, okay, question answer this. Now let's explain it. But you kind of flow through the questions and answers without saying, Hey, here's question this, here's answer this. So how mm -hmm. do you flow through these question answers to the lives of your students? Man, that's a good question. Um, I think a lot of people are, are who are wondering, how do I teach the Reformed faith? They use the shorter or the larger catechism, the confession of faith, and say, you know, like without just doing, here's the question, memorize the answer um, in a way that makes sense for them. Like we talk about in this book, culturally or age appropriate or like something that makes sense for them where they're at yep. versus yep. just kind of a straight question answer stuff. Yeah. So I remember reading, so Dr. Carl Ellis, he's an RTS professor. Yep. And he has a book called Free at Last. And he has these really cool categories for theology. Um, he talks about classical theology and jazz mm -hmm. theology. And so kind of the category. So I'm so when I so I actually took classes at Howard when I mm -hmm. first moved up here. Okay. Just to really get to know the university and totally, get to know yeah. students. Culture, people, the teachers and stuff. Yeah. Yep. Just immerse myself. And so I always told myself, so when I was at Jackson State, I learned a ton and i said if i ever did this again i would do a few things and one of them is befriend musicians and artists early so that when it was time to actually like do large group and mm. like and you really want like artists and musicians to be in the mix like they're there but also just i love music musicians and artists and i feel like our group didn't have like a ton of them but when we did have them they were just like super cool so our group's really artsy right now Okay. But uh, <laughs> but I remember signing up for piano instruction one, huh. and I remember the teacher. She's a, a classical piano teacher, and she would have the music up, and I had to play every note correctly. It was about precision. It was about accuracy. Yep. And she would make me keep a journal, and would like it was like this really intense like Excel spreadsheet type of journal like what uh i can't even remember the technical terms at this point now this is years <laughs> like four years ago but like what system what bar what 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 um note what yep. beat did i miss and so it was all about precision and so that's kind of like in many ways what 
confessions, catechisms, creeds are, they're about precision, they're about accuracy, and they don't really change much across like time and culture. No. And so like Dr. Ellis, he, he says this in, in his book, um, the classical approach to theology comprises the formal methods of arranging what we know about God and his world into a reasoned, cogent, and consistent system. So, you know, end quote. So it's kind of like theology as science. Yeah. So that's kind of what like the, the catechism is. Mm -hmm. But jazz theology. So when I was at Howard, I mm -hmm. took classical piano my first semester there. And so I, I, as a non-degree seeking student, you can only take two semesters of courses. Huh. So my second semester, I took jazz keyboard harmony. And this is, yeah, yeah. I, I know no music. So I'm up in there <laughs> and it's and it's actually really cool. So like a jazz, like living legend is teaching me. He he uh, hmm. teaches at Howard, his, Dr. Cyrus Chestnut. Um, people are in the jazz piano uh, will probably recognize his name. Sure. But he just very graciously, he he's a Christian. He just very graciously huh. takes me on as a student because I tell him like, I'm, I want to kind of get into getting creative with music, with hymns. He's like, yeah, sure. You know, sign up. <laughs> so we're in there and he's really into like, you know, he he's technical, but he's just he was more so leaning on like, let what's inside of you flow out and yeah. like really let the thing that you have to offer move through your fingers. And it's yeah. very much about like the moment expression. Um, And, and so but there's still you st there's, the song is still the song right like you still are there's still a set of notes that make the song the song so this is kind of like so dr ellis says jazz theology investigates god's dealing with the people and the joys and trials of daily life and it is not so much concerned with facts as it is with life skills knowing how rather than knowing that so like end quote and so it's, it's basically talking about what we talk about the indicative or the interpretation versus the application Mm -hmm. So we have like classical theology as these truths and then like jazz theology is how we apply them to our people, like sermons and mm -hmm. Bible studies and like even popular theology books. And so that's really the process I'm doing in this book. Like I'm taking these kind of abstract truths, these propositions, and I'm fleshing them out as I address students' fears, their concerns, their their struggles, their sin issues. And so we should always be doing this with our with our catechisms, creeds, confessions. And I think we do intuitively And in the people who we really love to listen to, uh, uh, the people who we really love to listen, teach mm -hmm. the people who teach those who we love to listen <laughs> <Yeah>. to. <laughs> I, I got they, it. I got, I, they, I got what you're saying. Yep. They do that well. Like they apply it. It's like, yeah. it's, it's deep theologically, but it's also very devotional and rich. And so, yeah. And it I'm sticks really with you a little that. bit better when it when it's when it's applied in that way. It like the truth makes more sense to you versus just kind of floating above you. Yep, yep. And so I I tried as as, as hard as I mean I I still think I mean I I, I like the book, it, but I I still think it could be dense at moments. And so like I I hope that like students as they read it they'll you know be be gracious with me in those moments where I'm like, all right, totally. I'm trying to make this as like <laughs> applicable as possible, but yeah, I just yeah. got to like press through the Trinity right here. <laughs> or like, I got to talk about like one person, two natures. And yeah. like, I just yeah. trying to start. I, as I do I think I there's a, there's a somewhat of a natural flow in the book where you start off, um, not surface is the wrong way, but clear. And then it does get, as you can call it denser towards the end, but the, I, I, my, my guess is your hope and those who read this, the hope is like they've kind of built in these categories 
by the time they get to the denser stuff, they can they can handle it a little bit better. Versus, yeah, if you don't have it, if if you don't have any categories, then it's going to be hard. And we like we have to Christians need meat. We need we need deep doctrine, but we need categories to kind of put those doctrinal categ- like um, topics into as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's 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 the goal with the book. Awesome, yeah. cool, and and kind of bridging that too is just like music. Books need structure yeah. to you know telling and developing stories, make it understandable, make categories so that people can progressively understand what you're unpacking uh, instead of just random information just thrown everywhere. So music and books and just the way the human brain works is like that. So they're just like music you're describing for it to make sense. There's a structure to a book and your, your book structures into four main parts. um, And there's probably a reason for them. So we wanted to ask and, and maybe give us a 30,000 foot summary of each one or what the main reason was or focus of each one. So the, the four are revelation relationship rescue story and rescues effect. So I'll just let you kind of go from there. Yeah. So I tried to follow, essentially I tried to make this a systematic theology book for college Mm -hmm. students. So I tried to follow the typical flow of a systematic theology. Yep. You know, we talk about scripture and then theology proper. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about humanity. Which is know. where the, uh, the Westminster Confession goes. So you're just kind of following that. Yep. Yep. So it worked out perfectly. Um, you know, talking about humanity and image of God and sin. And we're talking about the gospel, person and work of Jesus. And then we're talking about the hope that we have. We're talking a little bit about eschatology. Yep. And so, but basically I tried to really make it down to earth and, you know, I'm a preacher, so got to make things alliterate. So <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's why, I was, you know, revelation, which is the scriptures, how God reveals himself to us and his desires for us relationship, which is God's relationship with us and how that was intended to be, then how it went wrong. Rescue story, which is basically um historia salutis like the, the the history of salvation and then rescues effect the ordo salutis like mm-hmm. kind of how this story how this rescue actually gets into our lives yeah so really in with revelation i talk about um how we can't know anything unless god reveals it to us and i talk about what the bible is mm-hmm. is it, why is it true why can we trust it i talk about biblical interpretation and all throughout these sections, I'm kind of addressing different questions that I think college students might have, and particularly yeah. African-American college students. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of address um, a lot of the questions that African-Americans have around the Bible and its relationship to the history of racism in the American church. And can the Bible be trusted with how it's been abused and yeah. how it's been used to uphold versions of racist theology? And so I kind of get into that. and. Yep. Even I, so I not only challenge racist interpretations, but also challenge um, African-American interpretations that react to the racist mm-hmm. interpretations in ways that discard or maybe distrust the Bible. And so I really want to drive home that the scriptures provide African-Americans the only source of true and lasting hope. Um, and so then the next part, relationship, talk about who God is, his character, his attributes, and just talk about really try and drive home that we 
would say we know. I mean, oh, I would say this when I was a college student. I would say I knew God until I read like A.W. Tozer's The Knowledge of the Holy. <laughs> and, and I was I like, nothing about God. <laughs> and I was like, dang, like this is a great deep dive into every attribute. And even uh, just reading J.I. Packer's um, um, Knowing God. And it's yep. just like, man, like that was my first theological read in college was Knowing God. And I was like, yeah, oh, that was way above my head when I first yeah. read it. Yep, that's definitely you got to read that one slowly and just chew on that one yep. uh, as a college student. And so just, just the, from the doctrine of God, everything else flows like so really the, the, that's part of the flow of just any systematic theology and the part of the flow of the book. Mm -hmm. And then really dive deep. And then next, I really dive deep into the image of God. Mm -hmm. Who are we as humans? What did God make us to be? What's our purpose within the cosmos? And I talk about sin and what went wrong, that we have rebelled against God. We have failed to live out our identity as creatures who bear God's image. And then Rescue's story talks about Jesus and what he's done, his person and work, that we needed someone to come save us. And he redeemed us. Like at the center of his work is redemption as a prophet, a priest, and a king. And I talk about like how um, people have, have we've, the, the kind of the questions we have as it relates to, um, you know, for example, like the cross and why did Jesus have to die in that way? Or why did Jesus have to be God? So just asking those questions. And then the last part is rescue's effect, talking about blessings, like really what blessings does his redemption bring? And this is kind of where, you know, this is my favorite part because it just gets to like, you know, you kind of just revel in all of that, all that Jesus brings to us, explaining mm -hmm. things like justification, mm -hmm. adoption, sanctification, like the, the assurance of God's love. Question answers 30 to 38. That's, yep. that's some good stuff right there. Yeah. So that's kind of the flow. And um, just trying to apply it to, to, to their lives, bringing like, like y'all, like y'all shows about bridging the gap. Mm -hmm. Heck yeah. So You've talked a lot about this and we've, we've talked a little bit about it. And so I want to address it because I think a lot of our audience, when they, when they hear a lot about HBCUs, historically black uh, colleges and universities, American, African-American students, and this is written to African-American students more particularly. So they might wonder, well, Cyril, I'm, uh, I'm not black and I don't work with black students. So why should I use this? Um, how, like, how do I use this in my own context? And we have a, I'm sure we have black listeners who are like, oh, absolutely, I can use this. And this is maybe not a one-to-one -one ratio, but it's closer. And you actually talk about this in your book, especially with contextualizing the gospel message and our confessional standards for particular people, which you do in your context. So how can how can people do what you do with historically black colleges and universities to their own context? If it's Asian, if it's Hispanic, if it's um if it's uh, Native American, whatever it may be, how can they do what you've done for historically black Christian or Christians or, or whatever it may be um, for their own context? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, here, here's my conviction that everyone already does what I'm doing in this book, whether they're aware of it or not. Mm -hmm. Like we're always speaking from a certain context to a certain language. context. Yeah, we're speaking cultural language, even just literally language, like speaking English, mm -hmm. you know, like that makes sense to certain people and, and it doesn't make sense to others. 
and speaking English, you know, I guess in the United States, that's all we got for the most part. <laughs> speaking At least English, dominantly, yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, yeah. Dominantly, yes, yes. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of poking fun at us. Um but uh, <laughs> we need to we need to do yeah. better uh than just having dominant dominantly English. But you know, like that's a choice of 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 in, in theology. How do we speak these truths to this audience? Yeah. Um, and so kind of I just wanted to be very explicit about that. Like as mm-hmm. I'm writing this book, I'm aware that the things that I say, the the questions I choose to answer, the things I choose to emphasize are based upon an audience that I am thinking about. And so this is actually what the scriptures do. Yeah. And this is what this is kind of like one of the biggest jobs of pastors in theologians when they deal exegetically with a passage Big time. they're yep. they're they're helping you figure out what questions that bible uh audience was asking and yep. this really shows up and i love it in the book of the books of first and second corinthians hmm. like literally he's answering questions yeah. that they're very asking. very pointed yep <laughs> yep and he's getting very detailed he's asking uh, he's answering questions about eating meat sacrificed to idols. Like, I love that. Like, mm-hmm. he is a pastor, you know. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm getting in the weeds. I'm getting in the nitty gritty of your life. And I'm answering your questions with the gospel. And I'm applying the gospel to your specific questions. And I think sometimes in reform circles, we say, we'll give the, like, abstract doctrinal truths. Yeah. And we'll leave it up to the parishioners and apply the Holy Spirit to apply it themselves. It's like, no, like. That's our work as ministry leaders and pastors is to help them imagine what these truths look like in application in their lives. And so, you know, we see this in really any every Bible book. We see this in Romans, like the mm-hmm. things that he talks about deal with the, the the issues and the situations that the Romans are going. Doesn't through. mean they're not universal in some aspect, but they yeah, they are. They're particularly applied in that context. Absolutely. And here's the beautiful thing, because they're particularly applied we more vividly see the universal truths in action. And so it's like the the reason why we know so much about the gospel and weakness and how it applies to us in our weakness is because we read second Corinthians in in such a particular book. Yeah. Like the reason why we know about Christian liberty of conscience is because we can read first Corinthians eight through 10 and like, we can see those things vividly applied and it just enriches everybody when we do that. So by applying these truths to a particular time, people, and situation, my hope is that they'll more vividly see the gospel and it'll apply, like the application will will benefit people because they'll look at this. Maybe they've never thought about questions that black students are asking. And they're like, oh, like I never saw the gospel from that angle. Yeah. Or I've never seen anyone talk about that topic mm. as it relates to Jesus and who he mm-hmm. was. And now that gives them a whole nother avenue True. of prayer and ex- exploration into the scriptures. And so everyone should be doing that. We should be reading each other's theologies. We should be looking at the gospel from each other's vantage points. Yep. We should be looking at what jumps out on the page to somebody else because I might not have seen it. And this just yep. enriches us all. Heck yeah. And a slight question to add on top of this, be- because of your your kind of entrepreneurial work with Hadassah, um, looking like you know, African American voices to speak into African American lives, um, maybe talk a little bit too about with the particular context that you you preach to, um, like who like what kind of theologians, what kind of voices are you pulling in in this book to speak to them, and not saying you can't pull in a white voice and like oh I can't listen to a white voice or white person can't listen to a black voice, not not saying that at all, 
but particularly they they hear people from their own culture, their own their own background, their own um, status, whatever whatever it may be. So what's how, like how did you use different theologians, different voices to speak to your students more particularly so? Yeah, that's a great question, man. So part of my big goal. So initially, so like when it, when I first started writing this book, it was actually is actually I wrote the first the, the first. So I have a draft of uh-huh. every question in the shorter catechism. Yep. And the book just got really, really long. <laughs> yeah, I <can laughs> so imagine. I was like, let me just focus on the beliefs section of the shorter catechism. Um, oh. And so, um, and so part of that, like, like, uh, uh, also what I wanted to do is write kind of along with the book kind of different um, summaries of theologians of African descent from the yep. past. And so I'm like, ah, like the book is already too long and it's kind of <laughs> two books in one. Sure. And so I said, all right, I'm going to shorten that and just like sprinkle it throughout this book. Hmm. So like every chapter there is some African-American theologian Mm -hmm. or christian or leader Mm -hmm. who kind of embodies the teachings of that chapter Mm. and so i really want to so here's the thing like when we talk about christian history we realize that no one is a christian in a vacuum no like we all inherit beliefs practices and stories from a previous generation yeah and so this is me helping students be connected to the beliefs, practices, and stories of the previous generations of Christians that are or are that were, and I guess are, because they're just in a, in the heavenlies. They mm-hmm. are asking the same questions that they are asking, and so it's like, hey, let's lean on the wisdom of those in the past. Let's let old friends speak into new times. Mm-hmm. So I, I I lean on people like un- unlikelies like um. Phyllis Wheatley mm-hmm. and some people, um, some theologians that people might not have heard of, like Mariah Stewart and mm-hmm. I lean on, yeah, like uh, Augustine. And uh, I was about to say Augustine makes makes his uh, entrance there a lot because the dude's African, so he's 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 a he's a black theologian, so he's he's gonna yep. find his he's gonna find his way in this book. Yeah, I lean on uh, Athanasius and I, yep. I lean on Augustine's mom Monica, yep. who's really yep. the hero of. Totally. Of, uh, yeah, because his, his father is Roman and his his mother's yeah. Egyptian or African. I forget what yeah. she was exactly. Yeah, she's of North African descent. Yeah. you know, Berber. But yep. but yeah, she you know, and yeah, I I just love his story. And so I'm trying to introduce my students to these mm. different theologians, Christians. Like you come in this long line of African American thinkers, theologians, pastors, whatever it may be. This like this is your history that you can kind of live into. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, I got a couple reflection statements before my last question because I know after this next question, my last question, I won't have a chance to to say <laughs> what kind of I've I've learned from your book and learned from this conversation and been. This is called Nick's about. brain dump right here. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. I write I things. It. I write things down as the conversation goes. So first one, um, like you're saying, uh, the writer, whatever ri- human writer is. Uh, writing about in the Bible, there there's a context of that author or the the audience at that time. There's context there, and Paul's letters in the first century to those churches, and you mentioned First and Second Corinthians. It it would almost seem like he's talking to the American churches in some of his other in his letters, these epistles. I mean, a lot of the stuff that he talks about is timeless, 
it's cont- contextually brilliant by the help of the Holy Spirit to the people hearing it then and now. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why it's like you can still preach on Romans and Ephesians and first and second Corinthians, and they're just as applicable today as they were then. Yep. Um, so that's brilliant. And the next part is you already kind of you and Peter already uh, kind of alluded to this, but I wrote down that it's, I mean, we're talking about a lot of people not knowing the Bible these days very well. And a lot of people, even a lot of Christians might not realize a lot of the first churches were in Africa. Christianity mm-hmm. really had its very beginnings in Africa. Like a yeah, lot Christian of Christianity is not a Western religion. It is a, a global religion, but started in the East. Yeah. It's, right. It, it, first origins, first churches were really in Africa. And, and yeah. like you'd say, some of the first big theologians were mm-hmm. African. And mm-hmm. we talk about, you know, even Augustine uh, and Athanasius and there's people before them, obviously, because yeah, Tertullian they were... probably wasn't all that white. Yeah, there's there's a lot of people in our history who, yeah, in a sense, have been whitewashed. But we just kind of we just kind of assume everyone looks like us, thinks like us, talks like us, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It is, and it just changes the way you read the Bible, because even yeah. when you read the Bible, you're thinking, you know, yeah, these people like are in Africa, you know, they're, they're in Egypt for, you know, uh, uh, 430 years and they're, they're being freed. And you look at Moses with his Cushite wife and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that episode, uh, in numbers. And then you're looking, you're looking at all these different things. And it's just like, if we're not careful, we'll just start to think that everybody is white or black. We'll start to bring our own totally kind of American categories onto the Bible. And they just like, look at ethnic like they didn't really have the same categories of race at all no. and they just looked at things way differently and yep. then when you even look at them you're like these are like black and brown people in the middle east what we what we would call the middle east you know yeah. and it just mm-hmm. changes totally kind of yep. it just challenges us totally mm-hmm. yep well and that goes into my last question perfectly because a lot of people don't know those things and so there's a skeptical college student uh, that would start coming to college or been to college for a while. And uh, so there's some major lies or mischaracterization mischaracterizations about Christianity they've been bought into uh, culturally, whatnot, um, especially that it's a white man's religion. That, that's been, we hear that mischaracterization a lot uh, that you aim to correct in this book. Obviously, you're a black author and you're defending Christianity as um, and in that in the right that we've been talking about. It's not a white man's religion. Um, It's not it's it's for all nations and all peoples. So what what's your initial I'm just trying to think I'm trying to like think if I was in front of you or next to you, what's your and and you have Mm -hmm. that mischaracterization or lie um, that. Or like a student, Somebody, a student walks up to you and is like, Reverend, Reverend Chavis, like my professor, whatever, my parents, my friends are saying like Christianity is for white people and it's been used to oppress black people. What, yeah. what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. So I'm just trying to imagine what would your initial apologetic response and goal be to a false claim like that? Yeah, man, that's really good. I mean, first off, I would try and sympathize with them. Hmm. You know, I wouldn't bash them or attack them. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, man, like, I feel you. Like, I feel that tension because when we look at Christian history, there are some really difficult things that we have to wrestle with. Um, white racism has had 
a close relationship with Christianity in a lot of countries and particularly in our country. And so it does bring a lot of really deep questions. We look at imperialism. We look at the scramble for Africa. We look at Jim Crow South. We look at American chattel slavery and we see Christianity right there complicit Mm -hmm. in, in, in many ways, you know, there's always kind of like rays of hope when we look at, Christian resistance, but in many ways, Christianity was, was, was complicit. And so I think a lot of students think, you know, about really the scriptures, they're like, man, can we trust the scriptures and the Bible? What was it tampered with? And like, yeah, some people did tamper with the Bible. They, they deleted parts of the Bible in order to co-opt the Bible for their own purposes. And, um, they're, you know, they're skeptical about how to interpret the Bible and just telling them, yeah, like people have misinterpreted the Bible. Like, the curse of Cain. People have made the curse of Cain, yeah. you know, and put it into their racist framework. And they've taken the curse of Ham and they've mm-hmm. put that in their racist framework. And many theologians over the years have seen talk about black suffering and yeah. oppression. Or like Paul as, and Philemon and his supposed complicity with racism and slavery and all that stuff. Right, right. And so like people have interpreted the Bible in ways where it hasn't answered the questions or asked the questions that African-Americans are are asking. Um, and many ways people have abused doctrines, like they've abused the means of grace yeah. where people withheld baptism from yeah. black Christians oh, because yeah, of what I, it might mean. That gets to me. They've withheld the Lord's Supper from black Christians because of what that might mean for yeah. their system of, of racism. They've abused the doctrine of providence, like where God providentially has you here. Therefore, that means that we can do what we want to you and this is good for you. And They've abused the doctrine of the image of God, you know? And so like, there's just so many abuses that, and even when you think about the black church, like it was a persecuted church and it was persecuted by many white Christians who wanted to maintain racist control over the black church. And so you just got to acknowledge all that and just say like, all that has happened. Mm -hmm. It infuriates me too. Like it fires me up too. And, you know, you just have to like, like, <clears throat> just have to distinguish along with that. And in and, and the next step is to say like, hey, but all of that is actually not Christianity of the Bible. That's not yeah. biblical religion. And so, again, Dr. Carl Ellis uses this like helpful term, Christianity-ism, hmm. which is, you know, Christianity, when it goes to different cultures, it takes on that culture in, in good and healthy ways many times. Um like a, a a church in one country should look different than a church in another country sure. um, because of it's, it's enculturation, but yeah, different cultural practices, different backgrounds, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But syncretism can happen where Christianity is polluted by the culture and it becomes, some, becomes something different than Christianity. It becomes a false version of Christianity and he calls this Christianity ism. And so just helping people see the distinction between like the Christianity of the scriptures and that that flows from Jesus and the Christianity that is so polluted that it no longer becomes Christianity. Um, and so just acknowledging like, Hey, um, I understand how some people want to totally throw away Christianity yeah. and how they want to, they, they, they think that some other religion actually addresses the core concerns of African-Americans. And this is where like Malcolm X was, yep. he grew yep. up in a Christian home. Uh, and, and he acknowledges in his autobiography, mm-hmm. 
that Christianity is not whitewashed, that he he kind of even has a more accurate view than some people of Christianity <laughs> in some places. <laughs> That's the crazy thing about some of his views on Christianity is he actually kind of gets it. Yeah, he's like, I can't I can't participate in this because Christianity is more than this, you know, yeah. and so he just thinks it's a joke. And so he's a Muslim. Um, and there's other people who really gravitate more towards African traditional religions like Europe, the Yoruba religious system because it it addresses more of the African core concerns. And so just acknowledging like, hey, I can totally see how people might be drawn to that, but actually taking a stand on um, the fact that the Christian faith offers hope to African-Americans, it brings the most robust answers to their questions. Um, and so talking about like penal substitutionary atonement with them and saying like some people might reject that because you know it's essentially child abuse or whatever it is right or and also some people might say that that the cross means that we give that that god gives his divine approval oh, to yeah. abuse yeah and true. you know and like surrogacy of like yeah. someone Which using are, another like person's body. There's like some feminist interpretations on the cross yep. too, where they talk about yeah, paternal like patern paternalism on the cross. Yeah, very similar. Yep. And, and so like saying like no, the cross actually means that like we're supposed to stand in horror at it. Like yeah. this is actually we're supposed to be you know horrified at it. And so you know, or, or just like the doctrine of providence, people might reject the doctrine of providence, saying like if God had anything to do with African suffering. I don't want anything to do with him. And it's like, well, without God's sovereignty, then we have no real hope. What so what happened to us was just by accident, like by accident, because God temporarily lost control and he kind of for a moment let the universe slip outside of his power. And yeah. it's like, no, if it, God is not responsible for this, he weeps with us and he is against this. Mm -hmm. But we also have to acknowledge that he's control over it and he's out. And because of that, he's the God of our hope. Um, we talk about inerrancy, like we, we want to throw away parts of the Bible because they're problematic, but really why we think they're problematic is because we haven't actually interpreted them in the context of the whole counsel of God. And yep. so like, what do these slavery passages mean within the whole counsel of God? Like, yep. what are these different passages that seem to support um, racism or, or oppression? Like, what does these mean within the whole counsel of God? Totally. And also like we're thinking about eschatology. Like some would say that heaven makes black people passive, hmm. that it allowed um, people under Jim Crow, people under uh, American shadow slavery to just be content with their situation because they were looking forward towards a heaven. Oh, yeah. So heavenly minded, there were no earthly good. Exactly. And so it's like, no, like the scriptures actually the vision of the end times actually causes us to be rowdy right here, right now, yep. because we are participating in what Jesus is doing now as we look forward to a new heavens and new earth. And so eschatology, actually, when we see a future vision of the new creation, it causes us to want to usher that in in the present age through Jesus. And so just really showing them how like Christianity actually gives us hope. It gives us a better answer to our questions. Um, and when we look at the black church in the African-American tradition, Christian tradition, we see people like some like all the best resistance uh, efforts against societal evil, against personal evil and sin around African-American core concerns. When we look at the people who were most invested in loving and pouring into the African-American community, they were inspired by 
Christianity and by Jesus and even some of the most unlikely people like Marcus Garvey, you know, like a lot of people just don't know that he was a Christian. And so, um, yeah, so it's just really trying to convince students like, hey, this isn't something that is against us. This is something that is for us. God is for us and the scriptures as they stand don't have to be edited. Like it, it delivers a word of hope and we can't let um, the ways that Christianity has been abused yeah. win, win the day. Like when we throw away Christianity, we've let that win. Mm-hmm. We've let the ways it's been abused win. But when we actually recover it for what it is, that's when we actually are are um, advancing. And and it seems obvious to us, but it's it uh, because you mentioned Malcolm X. It's amazing how many people don't know that Martin Luther King Jr. is a was a Christian. And I think he, they he, do. They just don't buy it. And a lot of, a lot of there's a, a lot, lot of, of people that aren't Christian that you know. Oh, yeah. Don't I, I was realize, thinking more of like a lot of Christians will look at Martin Luther King and not buy. His they Christianity. Don't, there's a lot majority of the public seems to not think about it or understand that he was a Christian and you know he stood on Christian values of responses to evil racism. Um I brought him up because you mentioned he was the same time era as Malcolm X. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. Yeah. There's man, yeah, there's a lot of um and even so um <clears throat> in the book I talk about C. Herbert Oliver mm-hmm. and um he was a minister in the OPC mm-hmm. and also a civil rights activist in, mm-hmm. in Alabama. And so you just see like, I, I loved it. I, I, it was fun to throw him in there because he's just so kind of close to home as far as tradition and reformed <laughs> theology. Yep. It just like, here you have this like Westminster grad, like mm-hmm. and civil rights leader and like nice. African-Americans have always known how to like put those two things together. Mm-hmm. Like those two things were never apart from each other because of the reformed ethical system you know really when you think about the shorter catechism reform theology is mostly ethics yep. right there's the beliefs in the first third of it and then the yep. rest of the two thirds is like <laughs> basically all ethics yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's the 10 commandments how yeah. we pursue From grace like 43 onwards it's all ethics <laughs> yep yep and so it's, it's it's kind of like all right when we think about the 10 commandments we don't just think about them individualistically we think about it as um, a church, we think about it corporately. We think about it. We're thinking about it. How we're thinking about how this affects our public life, our public witness, yep. um, our public theology, and with so our neighbors, I, with our friends, with our families, with all that stuff. Exactly. We're thinking about politics. Like how does this influence our politics and the policies that are passed, mm-hmm. and how people live together. And so, like African Americans have never shied away from having theology inform every single area of life. Um, and so there, there were no kind of like theological questions that were a part of their experience that were off limits. Hmm. And so it's, 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 it's yeah, it's, it's just cool to, when we look at Christian African-American history, like, Hey, let's actually look at how the gospel and the, the four tenets of the Christian faith have actually motivated these Christians to, hmm. to fight for African-American flourishing. Like, yeah. Yeah. So last question, landing the plane. Um, kind of two-parter. So first, just in your own ministry, how have you seen, and you talk about this a little bit in the book uh, and kind of how this book generated itself, but what what fruit have you seen from using this approach, using this book, using this approach that you use um, and others in their own context? And then related to that, a word for those who are like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up this book. We encourage, definitely encourage people to buy this book, use it in their own context. 
um, for how to use this book in the like in the in the way that you would hope that it would be used in college campuses kind of across the country and across the world? Yeah. So I hope people use it as a discipleship resource. So actually, so when I wrote the book, I was really trying to get it done and had like this burst of energy of getting it done. And I was like, I wanted to write discussion questions, but I just didn't have the time because it just needed to get done. Uh-huh. And so now, now I'm like recovering from the burst of energy it took to write the book and get it out there. And now, now I'm like sitting down and I'm writing up kind of really a workbook hmm. where students can walk through in like a discipleship setting, all these core truths. Um, and so I, I, I would love to see small groups use it, it being used in one-on-one settings or just it being gifted to to students and not just students. I mean, I think, it. I mean, these truths are helpful for anyone. I, yeah. I kind of use illustrations and speak to college students questions, yeah. but yeah. it can be helpful for anyone. And so on, on, on campus, like it's kind of guided the topics we do in our kind of main Bible study. Mm-hmm. We've been, we've basically been doing this book for the past, like several semesters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, uh, well, not, well, not the past, the first three semesters, for, we did it for three semesters, um, and I'm kind of we're at the end of the shorter catechism now, okay. and I, I haven't written gotten a chance to write on that yet. But I really noticed with students because I love preaching through Bible books and I love teaching through Bible books, yep. but I'm just like, man, it just feels so tough doing verse by verse when they don't have these basic categories yet, uh, yeah. you know, and so like. I just felt a burden to get these basic categories down, you know, because even when we're preaching, a, when we say the word God in a passage, you know, they're like, OK, who is God? You know, right. and so I just wanted to get these basic things down because they're just not coming with any type of a lot of them are not coming with any type of significant Christian background. And kind of what I do is I, I use these topics to inform the kind of content. But then I also try and lead or maybe like advertise, so to speak, with a felt need. Okay. And so it's like, we're going to talk about inerrancy, but we're really kind of saying, hey, um, in our lives, we're always looking for truth and Mm -hmm. we're looking for an authority to speak to us. Mm -hmm. How does this relate to this specific area of the college student's life? And so we're really trying to take these, like I said earlier, take these truths and apply them to the questions that students are asking. I think the only danger with doing things so topically like this is that it can't, I mean, it it can feel like what it is like, you know, systematic theology. And so you just really got to be intentional with keeping (laughs) it down to earth. Yeah. You just got to really try intentional to keep it down to earth and like have an eye to the questions that college students are asking, but it's been, it's been fun. Um, and, and, and and it like eases my conscience. I'm like, all right, I know I have a plan. I know I'm systematically working through the basics of the Christian faith. So if anyone's been in our ministry for any amount of time, they're getting the, they're getting the meat and potatoes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Is there been just to end with a, maybe a short story on your side, has there been kind of a cool aha moment for one of your students after going through some of this stuff? It's like, Oh yeah, this stuff, this stuff, uh, this stuff caught them. Has there been like, what's, is there, is there a cool story that you can kind of leave our audience with as like kind of a, um, like, Hey, like you can do this too. And this is some of the stuff that you can see from your students as a result of, of going through this with them. Like encouragement. Yeah. Some encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so like, okay. A, a story of a student going through the book and they've been encouraged by the, 
by the by the content. Yeah, yeah. Or they like kind of a light bulb went off and it's like, that's exactly what I want you to get from this. Yeah, yeah. So um yeah, like so th- there's one student who I'm walking with and we kind of just meet up weekly and she she actually was one of the test readers for the book and she was going through it and she read the part on Bible interpretation, I believe. She she read she read that chapter mm. and she really kind of was like, This is what I need, like this is what I've been missing. Uh. Um like I need this <clears throat> to explain all the ins and outs of the, of, of the Christian faith. Yep. And uh, she she was one of the ones who actually like wrote a, a blurb on the on, on the back of the yeah, book. I was, I was thinking um, this sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. And she was like, this is the, the Bible explained function as the piece of knowledge I was missing about God. And so okay. um, it, it's just like little stories like like that, where students are like, man, I'm reading the book and I really enjoyed it. Or another campus minister um, called me the other day and huh. he was telling me, man, I actually have a student, man, and she is going through depression and I gave the book to her like a couple months ago and she says she's picking it up, man. And this is really helping her through that. Mm. And I'm just like, man, that's, that's encouraging. You know, cause when, when, when you yeah. write a book, you're just like, ah, whatever, like is out there and yep. Yep. okay. Yep. Like, you know, you, you kind of just like doubt yourself and doubt the <laughs> the book's going to help people. Does this really make any difference? It's like, so yeah, you know, it's like, you just, I mean, it's just like when just self-conscious really in, insecurity, of sure. being an artist and so it's just cool to see students get positive feedback and awesome. so i but but i actually really haven't like really done what i want to do with the book i really mm. need to create some small groups around this really mm. create some curriculum to go yeah. through one-on-one because they've been going we've been doing this with our bigger bible study and so people have mm. always given feedback and been like man i never thought about that from that angle or Oh, I never really thought about Jesus and being God in that way. And mm. so, but it, but it'd be fun to really get deep and be able to interact with him in a smaller setting. Awesome. This is a call to churches to pick up this book and do a small group with it. Your book yeah. study with yeah. it. Yeah. Or to help. Yeah. Like RUF or IVP, like our, um, what InterVarsity fellowship, just send it to your camp, like local campus ministers or for pastors or for lay people. If you have college students, whatever it is, or for yourself, this is kind of helpful. It was helpful for me, even like having been trained in this in seminary, but to like, how do I, how do I relate this to other people? And how can I relate this to myself in a way that makes sense for them? Not just that, like how I want to say it, but like, how, like, how does this land for somebody in a, in a robust personal manner? And this, this book really helped me with that, like personally. Yeah. I appreciate it. Here's actually a cool story that um was, it's always surprising. So I was, teaching well it's not this book specifically but it was it i guess it was content that was a part of this book but got cut out (laughs) (laughs) but i was uh i was teaching on the second commandment and yep and i was talking about white jesus (laughs) and how i was like you know basically in general this is not helpful and just pragmatically speaking yep but also when we look at it from the scriptures like we're not supposed to have images of jesus (laughs) yeah in multiple ways this is bad (laughs) (laughs) and so i was teaching on the second commandment and like looking at the effect that it has when we create images of jesus and so the student walks up to me afterwards and she's just like this was game changing like i've never i always thought that christianity was a white man's religion and i always put it away because of that but you kind of like breaking down the second commandment Huh. And applying it to that particular, sure. this particular issue has really opened my eyes to like 
true Christianity. And so like, you know, it's just like fun things like that. You never think teaching on the second commandment and on like images I was would about lead to say that's to not the usual like apologetic thing. argument for white man's religion. <laughs> exactly. So it's just fun stuff like that where you see like how this stuff actually, when you let it trickle down into the lives of students, it actually really makes a difference. Oh, praise awesome. God. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Reverend Chavis, thank you so much for a coming on our show. Uh, the work that you've done at Jackson State, the work that you're doing at Howard for writing this book, for putting yourself out there, putting this out there, for helping African-American students and students across the globe of every shape, size, color, ethnicity, racial background, whatever it is, to learn more about Jesus and their particular context and how we how we relate to them in their particular context, how it relates to us in our particular context. Um, so thank you so much for writing this and thank you so much for coming on our show and, and talking about your book. Man, well, I really appreciate y'all having me and I love what you all are doing. Keep up the great work. And man, I'm just I'm just excited about the mission that y'all have. So awesome. I'm excited to be a part of it. Cool. Appreciate thank it. You thank so you much. much. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this week's book club episode where we spotlight a specific book from a publisher and an author that both Nick and I really enjoy. We don't always agree with everything that the author uh, or the book comes about, but what they do share with us is love for Christ and his gospel from whatever tradition they come from, whatever creedal tradition they come from or confessional tradition. Uh, we all do share the same broader ecumenical Christian faith from different backgrounds, ethnicities, and, and denominations. Uh, we, we hope that these introduce books that you might not have heard of before, authors that you might not have heard of before. Um, I've been uh, really helped by learning about some of these. If you want to go to our show notes, find a link to the publisher. That helps them out a ton. A link to the author's page, to the book, to purchase it from the publisher themselves. It really helps them um, expose their work uh, through the publisher themselves. Yeah, and the value that we're bringing with these book clubs is you guys can really rely on us because as we all know, it takes a lot of time and effort to stay on top of all the books that are coming out and know which ones are probably good to look into, be recommended to read, look out for. And so these uh, these episodes are to whet your palate. You can We have already know that we're going to recommend this book, but you can um, listen to the episode yourself, get a little more understanding of the book and the author, and then go from there. Yeah. So if you want to find these books and uh, and purchase one for yourself, purchase one for friends or family, and also too, if you can find us on Apple, Spotify, any podcast catcher, rate and review us. That's that's how we're that's how we're best known. It's how we kind of make ourselves known. Uh, introduce these to a friend and and maybe just build your bookcase, build your reading, uh, read broader and and read really well. All under the umbrella of our creedal faith under Jesus Christ.